Welcome to the Innovation Forum webinar. I'm Ian Welsh. For the next hour or so, we're going to be looking at data-driven farming, tools and technologies for sustainable sourcing. As challenges mount within the food and beverage sector, the need for enhanced visibility at the farm level has never been more crucial. Companies are grappling, of course, with the complexities of fluctuating crop yields, diminishing soil health and escalating threats posed by pests and diseases and simultaneously the increasing influence of legislation and heightened scrutiny necessitate clear reporting verification for sustainable sourcing efforts. I'm delighted that joining me to consider these issues, we have Jonathan Sullivan, Vice President, Sustainability and Business Development at Agmatics, Digital Agriculture Specialists. We have Stacey Koshenberry, Food System Programme Manager for North America at Oatly, and Maurizio Camandoni, Global Sustainability Data Analyst with McCain Foods. Welcome to you all. And sincere thanks uh, from Innovation Forum to Agmatics for supporting our webinar today. And to my colleagues, Innovation Forums, B. Stevenson and Savannah Razak, who've brought us all together. Jonathan, for you at Agmatics then, what are some of the main challenges that you are seeing at the farm level and in agricultural supply chains? I think the agricultural supply chain is increasingly challenged and complicated. And in my opinion, probably more pressured than most sectors. Stakeholders at all points along the supply chain, from growers through to food and beverage companies and, and retailers, are faced with a myriad of challenges. On one hand, we have a multitude of factors that are making it harder to grow the things that we eat, such as climate-related events, warmer temperatures, and degraded soil. Climate-related events are increasingly frequent, droughts and wildfires. They're having devastating effects, destroying crops or floods or isolating communities and cutting off the supply chains to you know, enable it to get those crops in the first place. Just in the last week, we've seen this across the world in a couple of locations. Los Angeles has had huge flooding and you know, remote communities of Australia, where I'm from, have been completely cut off. In addition to these more frequent events, warmer temperatures are affecting so many things. They're, they're increasing water stress. They're decreasing yield often. They're even altering the regions where crops are being sourced from. Just recently, I was having a conversation with one of the world's largest champagne houses. They are now planting in England because of increasing temperatures in the traditional growing region of Champagne, France. A further major challenge associated with these is soil degradation, which is something we're seeing all across the world. Whether this be through the improper use or poor management in the past or you know, erosion, salinity or even contamination, it's something that's being faced by many of our growers. On the other hand, there are a number of factors also affecting the way the supply chains are operating. Whether this be at a global level, you know, we've seen, unfortunately, you know, continual conflicts affecting the supply chains, like the last few years with the war in Ukraine and wheat supply. In addition, there's a shifting and increasingly urban population. People are concentrating continually around those population centres and urban areas. And that's having effects on not only where the supply chain needs to serve, but also on nearby growing regions that are being consumed by that urban spore and expansion. There are increasing expectations around social issues from consumers, especially around human rights and traceability and sourcing of our supply chains. These same consumers that are not only asking more about the knowledge of what their food is and where it comes from, are also demanding and shifting in their consumption habits. Less processed ingredients, less sodium and sugar content, for example. On the regulatory side of all of this, there are a myriad of new laws and targets. We have land use constraints, there are the rise of nature positive targets, and considerations of all of these happening across multiple jurisdictions with sometimes conflicting requirements for, for parties doing business globally. 
On top of all of that, in the regulatory space, we also have the evolution uh, or continual evolution of reporting requirements with a steady increase on the detail and quality of those requirements. All of these factors, even at the face value, if they, they look like they're largely impacting the global food and beverage companies like the McCain's and the Oatley's of the world, they also ultimately flow through the supply chain to the growers, whether it be having to change crops to address the external factors or changing consumer habits, or even having to provide data to satisfy the new reporting requirements. Everything that's being faced at one end of the supply chain flows through. And in the face of all of this, growers and businesses at all levels across our supply chain need to maintain economic output to ensure their businesses are also sustainable. With increasing pressures to do more, it's also imperative that everything done is done within the lens of you know ensuring our growers can also continue to make a living. And all of those working at the farm level are able to maintain a healthy level of economic output. All of these evolving requirements aren't putting even further financial pressure on them. In that context then, how can on-farm data technology tools support companies to overcome these challenges? At the center of all of these issues is data. And I believe by managing it more effectively, we can have an outsized positive impact on all of the challenges I just mentioned. We can't improve on what we don't understand and we can't begin to understand an issue in a good data-driven way if we don't collect the data. That's where it all starts, you know, robust and easy to use ground truth data collection and management. Once that's achieved, then we can start to analyze the data well and combine it with robust scientific methodologies to make recommendations. I think this is an area of particular excitement right now. With the availability and enhancements of machine learning and AI, we'll continue to evolve at speed of, of just what we're able to do. But these kinds of technologies you know, can't be harnessed effectively if we don't have the data in, in, in the first place. So perhaps I can provide some more light by giving some more concrete examples. Let's take two examples. The first is in fluctuating crop yields, something we're seeing often due to unpredictable weather conditions and climate events. We're seeing this all across the globe in all kinds of crop types. How can we address this through data technology? I think by leveraging on-farm data technology tools, Growers and agronomists can receive real-time advice on exact nutritional requirements in their fields. So this data-driven approach allows for more precision nutrient application, which optimizes the use of fertilizers to further match the specific requirements of that crop at that growth stage in that field with the specific weather conditions. By providing this data in real time to enable better nutritional advice, we can not only enhance the yields for growers, but also decrease the variability of that yield and mitigate supply chain risks for buyers and food and beverage companies. All the while having a positive effect on sustainability impact and reducing the amount of fertilizer needed in the first place. Another related example is in the area of soil health. We're increasingly faced with this diminishing soil health in many regions of the world. By collecting soil samples and analysis, along with other field level data, we can not only help provide recommendations on the optimal nutrient composition needed to produce good yields this season, but also what's needed to rejuvenate and maintain soil fertility and health in the long term. This more targeted approach to soil nutrition is part of a more holistic framework with similar recommendations across the other areas and efforts of regenerative agriculture also reduces the other negative impacts of fertilizer and those environmental impacts. I think it all comes down to the power of effective management of that ground truth data in addressing the numerous challenges we all face. Stacey, I wonder if we can move to think a little bit more about the importance of a farmer focus in all of this. For you at Oatly, how important is that farmer focus approach when thinking about the data management challenges that Jonathan's been discussing? 
I think one of the biggest things that Oatly as our approach has meant that farmers are part of the process from the start. So we work to develop data solutions with them. And we do this because we need to understand what they need to have make better decisions, what type of farm data that they need on their farm to decide to do a practice change, what changes they anticipate having throughout their growing season and how that's going to affect their next growing season. So it really starts with having that collaborative start with the farmers understanding their challenges, understanding how they're collecting data. I think we all know that some farmers are incredibly technologically advanced and some are like me and they love a paper and pencils. It's kind of meeting all the farmers where they're at. And then the next part is really balancing that with what the company has to report on. You know, we have very large reporting commitments. And so we have to be incredibly iterative. And to be iterative means that you have to keep the most important person at the front of that. And that's the farmer. We need them on board 100% of the way as we do this data collection and as we roll out these types of programs. I'm going to just walk through a bit of an example it is about two and a half years ago, Oli created its regenerative farm framework. And the idea is that this farm framework would touch on many of the things that farmers are going to need around soil health, improvements to biodiversity and habitat availability, and then also that socioeconomic impact that a lot of these types of company programs have on not just the farm business, but the whole wider community. The only way that we can make this type of framework work is by communicating those benefits to the farmers and allowing them to see what types of agronomic changes are going to affect their larger community, right? And at the end of the day, their business. And I think that's the biggest chunk of my work. And the thing that I think is always so important to keep top of mind is not only are we dealing with farmers, we're dealing with folks that are running generational family businesses that have been around for some of them hundreds of years. And to do that, we need to be really cognizant of how we approach changes, how we approach how we collect data, just to honor the amount of knowledge that they have. Well, that leads me very nicely into my next question, which is what are the sort of tools that work then? Being conscious of that point you just made, where you have farmers that are maybe not used so much to using the data tools that we know are becoming available. What are the sort of tools that help in such a way? I like to think of Oatly as a very small but very mighty company. So we are smaller than many companies, and we do have the luxury of being able to work collaboratively to meet the needs of our farmers. And that has meant our approach has been very tailored. We have this proverbial table where we have the farmers, but then we also have our processors. Our mill partners sit with us in all the conversations. We meet weekly with them to develop tools with the farmers. And then we have the monitoring and reporting partners, as well as obviously the agronomic support staff. And the tools that we have been noticing that are making the most progress as we layer them in. So this wasn't like, hey, here are all the tools, let's use them all at once. It was this layering in, was really starting with establishing some long-term planning tools for farmers around the programs that we are trying to present. These are the practices that I want to adopt in 2024. And let me plan out the next several years and see how that relates to what I was going to previously do on my farm See how that relates to the incentive payment structure that Oatly or any other company is going to present me with so that they can start to build out those long-term plans. And that happens with our partners at the table. The second part is obviously that data collection platform is really allowing Oatly to determine what we are doing is directionally correct. And we can start to account for some of that impact 
And then having that information really is allowing us as a company to be able to scale the program accordingly. When I say scale the program accordingly, I mean, we're taking this approach of let's understand our entire supply shed. Let's narrow it down into watersheds, get as small as we can around our specific mill that we may be working in in Canada or in Sweden, and then narrow it down and start to work with a subset of farmers that are open to this type of data collection and just keep bringing folks in. So that's that iterative process there. And then finally, the biggest tool, honestly, that we found is this continuous feedback that we get from our farmers and our mill partners and how right now what we're doing is trying to integrate that feedback into that long-term planning tool so that farmers feel like they can continuously give us feedback, that we can have farmer-led groups that are saying, hey, this part of this program is working really great, or I have a question about this part of my practice change so that we are always on top of any questions and we can help in that planning process or at least get them the right answers. And how do you find across your various parts of your supply chain, presumably you're, you're sourcing mostly oats, how does it contrast between, say, North America and Sweden? What are the differences there? It's a big difference. Obviously, Sweden is a little bit smaller than Canada. And so one supply chain is very, very large and one is much more small and consolidated. In Sweden, our work with the data platform provider is consolidated work. We have a much more transparent view from the mill partners to the farmers and that the conversations are a lot easier, though we work with mass balance across the world. Because of the nature of the work in Sweden, it is a much more transparent mass balance, so to speak. In Canada, it's a lot different. We're working in Manitoba and Saskatchewan, so very, very large regions. And that work means that we have to take more of a geographical approach where all of our initiatives through our farm framework, our, our regenerative framework, are really starting with how do we impact this larger community and then figuring out how we can narrow it down. Because we want to see change happen across our supply sheds in Canada. And we just have to be a little bit more cognizant of how fast we go in Canada, understanding just the space we're dealing with. Maurizio, for McCain Foods, why is a farmer-focused approach so important when thinking about these challenges? As simply as it may sound, actually, without farmers, there wouldn't be any McCain. Let me put that into a context. So basically, we are a global company. We grow food on every continent apart from Antarctica. We are directly contracting with farmers. It's something that we are very proud of. We have multiple year contracts, but basically, we go to the farmer and we really want to have that handshake approach with them. If farmers are struggling in producing food, also, we will face some problems. I'm really happy that McCain is taking cut edging the technology. So it's developing those. And also like McCain wants to take the risk. What we did at McCain is opening in 2021 and in 2022, two farms of the future. Uh, now we are going to open a third one, actually, in which this farm of the future, we want to test all the regenerative agriculture framework and new technologies in order to test them before then passing the knowledge to the farmers. So not only farmers are important to us, but also we think that we need to involve farmers in this bigger rethinking about how to produce food, feed, and every agricultural product. He is like, why kind of like as a company just imposing rules? I don't know how many of the audience are from Europe, but if you just open news lately, we are struggling a little bit in Europe with farmers. So the thing is that instead of like imposing burdens, new burdens to or new rules to the farmers, 
why not creating a new, indeed, like incubation environment like Farm the Future and testing the things before the farmers, learning from our mistakes and then actually share the knowledge with them. What sort of tools help you engage with your farmers around the world? It depends on what we are talking about. The idea is like we have on-field tools. If we're talking about trying to reduce emissions, then I think this is a big topic nowadays. Definitely, we're going to test out technologies, indeed, family future, but then trying to immediately give these technologies and this knowledge to the farmers, like precision farming. The idea here is shifting from, a, okay, let's try to be as conservative of the yield as much as possible. So just inputs over inputs over inputs to a much more, or a, let's say, data-driven mentality. Let's try to put, to read what we have on our soils and on our land and just apply the right amount in the right place at the right time. This is a really basic idea. I would say even like it's going to help It's really like to connect to the farmers because at the end of the day, if you talk to a farmer, like everything is good, everything is perfect, but we're talking about uh, people that they need to make a living out of their passion and their passion is growing food for people. In the end, what really matters to them is create an income to indeed assure what are their needs and of their families. So a technology like indeed like precision farming or any other technology can cut the inputs. That means cutting the costs increasing the profits for our farmers. This is pretty important for them that we're not always trying to achieve higher yields and better yields and everything, but also like trying to see what are their needs and try to cut on costs. Given that you have a global agricultural supply chain, are you seeing issues with urbanizing population whereby there are people who are coming out of agriculture? Does technology entice them back, do you think? Definitely, that's also another big problem. Right now, we are facing big problem is like we do not have that much of human force in agriculture as before. The idea is to use these kind of cut-edge technologies. And I'm not just thinking about something simple as machines, better tractors that can do more work in a better way, less time, but also talking about artificial intelligence and machine learning. The idea here is to have a data-driven agriculture to reduce the extras, and extras, I mean, all the inefficiencies of the system that are just costs, but it's also like to make the farmer alive easier and also more efficient. At this point, if they know that there is a problem in that field, because for example, with remote sensing, that is another technology that we do implement to check our fields and how the crop is performing, if it is underperforming, so on and so forth. I'm not going to send the farmer walking around her or his fields and just like, oh, okay, how is the crop is doing? But I just have a portal, for example, that immediately says, oh, in that field or in that bunch of field, I see a productivity that is not as potential as it should be, but is something going on. I definitely see a technology as an helping for farming in this field. Jonathan, let's come back to you, if I may. I wondered if you could just reflect a little bit on what you've heard from Stacia and Maurizio and perhaps contrast the challenges between their two supply chains. The one for Stacia, single commodity, but mass balance in the supply chain, particularly in North America. Maurizio, one much broader supply chain around the world, but dealing directly with farmers. What are the contrasting challenges there? I see there's lots of contrast, but also lots of similarities as well. What Maurizio said, the right amount of the right input at the right time is something that's a challenge, whatever you're growing and wherever in the world we're doing that. And I think that 
challenge of optimization is really what we're all trying to get to. We can have great yields. We can have really good or less impact from a carbon perspective, great unit economics, but you can't have all of them all at the same time. So, you know, I think that's the greatest challenge is that optimization. And I think that goes across all crops and, and all types. I think what Maurizio said of, of an interesting way to do that so it is localized is the future farm or model farms that, that lots of different people are using. That's a great way to ensure that farmers are involved in the process. Stacey's had this great idea uh, Oatly and all of the farmers need to do it. And, and, and that, that's not the way I, I know the most progressive companies like Oatly and McCain are doing things. I think these model farms are a really useful technique, especially with trials and pilots of, of different approaches. In the data challenge around agriculture this is as important as anything. How can we manage those trials and pilots in the best way to get the best outcomes? And that's a big data issue. And I think to go back to your question around, okay, then those trials and pilots, how do you then get them to scale across different regions or different supply chains, whether you have suppliers in the middle or you're directly sourcing? I think ensuring that we have an adaptive framework that really speaks to the regional conditions is really important. In Stacey's example, we can't expect the same regenerative framework and practices to be as applicable in Canada as they are in Sweden. They're the different growing regions, there's different dynamics. So some of the frameworks need to be adaptable. And I think that's a really important thing that we need to get to as well as we approach farmers is, okay, we've got some ideas of all of the regenerative practices that we need to do, but what's the best thing for you in your region with your crop type? Having some broad frameworks, but then adapting them to the local conditions, I think is how we manage the complexity between the different supply chains across the world. Let's turn to audience questions. A lot of questions asking around the challenges for farmers around data. Thomas O'Donnell from USEPA asks, what can be done to help farmers collect data, but not put a burden on them, given that data gathering is expensive? And related question from Claire Sullivan asking, what are the incentives for farmers to share their data with companies? Let's put that first question, Jonathan, you want to answer it? How can you not put a burden on farmers to collect the data? How can we ease the way for them? This is something where we're concentrating on a lot of mags. I don't think this is the answer to absolutely everything, but it's surely a big part of it. Remote sensing, I think, is a huge uh, answer to some of this. What can we do from a remote sensing perspective so we don't have to go and take both time and, and expense and effort for the farmer? At Amatix, we have a collaboration with NASA Harvest on exactly that. In the future, what are we able to sense with satellites? What can we monitor over time to get to? One of the most difficult ones that we're facing from a remote sensing perspective, or at least a, a collection perspective, is also soil testing. As good as remote sensing is, it, it can't penetrate the ground right now. So, you know, to understand soil health, we still have to go and test the soil at the moment. And I think that's um, a challenge because... You know, right now, depending on what we want to do, that's time consuming and it's expensive. There are regulatory issues on one hand to make certain claims. Uh, how often do you need to go and, and, and validate that? But then also, you know, how often are we seeing the progress in that area? So I think soil testing is a particular interesting area. You know, to, to be honest, I think is a challenge that we, that we haven't solved yet and something that needs collaboration from the farming level through the supply chain. The question I'd like to put to both Stacey and Maurizio is really in terms of requirements, do you require data sharing from farmers and what incentives do you have in place? Maurizio. In 2024, data is crucial. We do have contracts with, uh, with farmers and we do use their data for two reasons. One, of course, is reporting. We have quite an extensive reporting on CO2 and environmental impact of our practices. 
Of course, you cannot report if you don't have a pretty detailed data on this. The other idea is like uh, nothing comes for free. The question was pretty excellent. It's a burden. We can definitely see that as extra work for farmers or at least like indeed uh, they need to increase their skill and so on and so forth. The idea is like getting back to the farmers. The idea is like we do collect data, of course, for reporting, but we do collect data to provide you also a service. The idea is like to return back to the farmer with as simple as possible dashboards that are pretty visual. So no like tables that are pretty difficult to read, but just like pie charts and bar charts and so on. that just like floats and they show the trend in the years of how they are doing. Yield, it can be water consumption, it can be like spraying and so on and so forth. Ba plus, based on that, we did create a regenerative agriculture framework. All the farmers, they do comply with our framework. We do give back them, in some region, uh, economic incentive. Do you comply? Are you trying to grow better potatoes, healthier potatoes, uh, more nutritious potatoes? Perfect. Then we thank you giving you an incentive that is quite important for our farms, as we said before, indeed, like money just contributes to their uh, livelihood. Stacey, same to you. Do you require data collection and how do you incentivize or work with your farmers on that? We are at the stage where we don't require data collection, but instead we're trying to work through our mill partners since we supply via mass balance. But instead we're trying to understand how our mill partners can help us collect data on all of the farmers that come through their system um, to gather that baseline information. And then through our programs, use those programs to fill in the additional information that we need and then use what I had previously talked about, that long-term planning. So for any data collection needs that we have at Oatly, we provide payment. We are definitely taking more of a practice change incentive payment structure to our programs to make sure that we're paying not just for the practice, but also for the data collection. Um, but because of how we source our oats and canola rapeseed, it's very much a partnership with the mill and we need them to be on board with the data collection process. Shareholders and lenders, financiers, what information are they asking of you, Maurizio? We are partnering in Europe with some credit institutions and with some banks institutions. They are asking as well for a change, a change indeed like in agriculture and so on, but is a change that needs to support farmers. Again, we just boils everything down to your first question, how important are farmers to us? They are vital. Right now we are partnering indeed, as I said, with a bank institution in Europe and uh, also in other regions. And uh, the idea is like, okay, if we can provide them data of the growers just doing and trying to ask for money or loans or anything else in order to implement these new technologies, and it can just be like implement your machinery going from a full tillage to a reduced minimum or reduced tillage, something like that, or some, they're just like willing to put the money in there. So this is also another way to uh, help the farmers. So basically they are asking data in order to support where this money is going and support our farmers. Our questioner asks, what kind of data collection tools are farmers most familiar with? What are the traits they have in common? Let's start, Jonathan, by asking you, what sort of tools do you require to, to use your processes? What do the tools look like? I think this looks very different depending on what your crop type is, what you're sourcing, and where you are in the world. For example, if we take a row crop in the Sun Belt of America, you're likely getting a whole lot of machine data. There's a whole bunch of really interesting systems that John Deere and, and others are providing that are really precise and providing a whole host of data using that equipment that you can start to bring in and, and layer in as one particular layer. 
That looks very different if you're growing coffee in Costa Rica. You're not using machines, you're on, on the side of a hill and is a completely and utterly different way of cultivating those crops. You have to have a, a very adaptive way of ingesting the data that's provided. One layer that's really interesting on top of all of that is what can we do and provide, even from such a simple thing as field boundaries. You would think that's an easy known thing out there of like, okay, what is the actual lat long and boundaries of a field? But it's not so simple. You know, you may have a field boundary in machine system that may be different with a field boundary that the supplier might have for you that might be different again to what uh, the grower is reporting through an ag retailer or something. So even just understanding what the differences in, in data is and then how we can clean and ingest that data in a good way, I think is actually not a simple thing and, and looks very different depending on where you are in the world and, and what you're actually growing. I wouldn't perhaps put that both to Stacey and to Maritza, just very quickly, what sort of data collection tools do you typically find your farmers are familiar with? I guess, Stacey, from what you said, different places, it's different tools. Yeah. So working with oats and, you know, canola rapeseed, we're, you know, we're working with larger commodities. And so most of the process that our farmers are used to is machine data, the related systems to that, like by John Deere. And then the other side of that is that many of our farmers are still keeping track of records via paper. And so there is that like slow process of learning, like how do we transition them into a digital system at a speed that's going to work for them. Absolutely. I cannot agree more with Stacy. We have a huge panorama in our growers. Sure, machine data, that's fundamental, but machines right now cannot really collect everything. So we do also have a lot of farm management systems. They are pretty helping us. So the farmer just need to input that in the computer and then through a pool, we just have all the data. And then, of course, the immortal Excel sheet, but... Uh, and maybe just to, to add to Maritio's point, some ways we're approaching that is, you know, what's just a really simple app? The vast, vast majority of our farmers now are at least digital savvy enough to have a phone. You know, even if it's not online and, and connected, can they, you know, just write some field notes? A whole bunch of us, you know, just love writing a note down in pen and paper. How can we make a really simple tool for just writing field notes down? and then ingest that and have that all in, in a single system. Or a farmer wants to talk to an agronomist, but an agronomist isn't there every day. How can we take a simple photo and say, hey, what is this issue? You know, I'd love your advice on it. Here is a photo, upload it to a system. It's no harder than taking a photo to send to your loved ones on WhatsApp. Really simple, easy to use. Field level note-taking and photos is, is I think, just it sounds like a simple tool, but I think is you know, really effective in actually getting that good ground truth data as well. Great question from Jenny Ballin about data sharing. As we get more and more data, how can that be shared for the greater good? Jonathan, thanks probably one for you. Given that you're generating and developing tools that do generate data, how can data sharing be made to work best for everybody? The more data we ingest in, into our systems, you know, both Agmatics and, and just a whole in sort of the industry, the better that we get at training our models and refining our recommendations of what we should do. There are great scientific methodologies and expert approaches to do this at the moment. If you ask 10 experts, what are the most impactful regenerative efforts for oats in Canada, you'll get 10 different answers. And that's okay, but you know, how can we bring that together by bringing data to that question? And the more data we ingest, the more you know, we say, okay, this was our recommendation, this was the impact, and this was what actually happened, the better we get at our approaches. And I think if we can do that from a technology perspective, 
but we can also do it from a lot of free competitive collaboration that's occurring in the industry between both competitors and adjacent companies. A good example of this is the Cool Farm Alliance, for one. There are lots of companies here today that, that are a part of these bigger approaches to really refine, okay, what's the best approach to these things? What's a good framework for ensuring that we're all measuring the same thing in the first place? Because we can't start to collaborate if we're measuring different attributes or having a different system to manage that. Stacey, perhaps you can consider this a little bit as well. I mean, it's a perennial problem, isn't it? Data sharing, because it's so important to businesses. But then equally, if you can find a way to data share on a pre-competitive basis, then everybody benefits. How do you get around that conundrum? That's a really tough one. I'll be very honest, Ole has not solved that by any stretch. Um, I think the thing that we are grappling with is how do we work with other companies across rotations in Canada? So working within the oats, the canola, the barley, and all of the different companies that are in that. And if we can get to a place where we can work across rotations with other companies and we know the farmers that we're touching at each one of those commodities, I think that there's that that opportunity that exists. We need to be all working from the same point. All the companies have frameworks. They're all well-intentioned. I think all of them are wonderful, but we're all measuring things at different levels, different scales, and that makes us really complicated. And I think that's why this has not progressed as far as I would like to see, and I'm sure the, the other folks on this call as well. Maritsu, have you solved this problem? <laughs> I wish. No, well, actually not really, but we are definitely into that and we're pretty interested into that. For example, we are trying to partner with other people because, of course, pretty old saying, but you can solve together uh, things way better than just alone. So, for example, we partner with uh, many other uh, stakeholders in the food industry and we created what is now the SAA platform. Uh, basically, this one is, of course, much more focused on regenerative ag. But the idea is like to, in order to say that someone, a farmer is indeed like a regenerative ag farmer, basically they need to comply to some indices. So basically the idea was like, okay, uh, should we like start again, like a new metric and then a new company just like start measuring something else? Oh, but you do this and I do that. And for me, it's like, this is the parameters for you. It's like five or 10 more is like what's going on. Basically the idea was like, hey, let's come all together. Let's define a framework. Let's define something that everybody recognizes this is important. The data is that one. And then let's go all together towards an, a bigger objective. And to me, that's way more. At a certain point, I would even say like noble, because of course, everybody recognizes what is the problem. Doesn't really matter competition or not on the market. In the end, like we are facing climate change and that's pretty important. So we need to come together, first solve that. And then all the rest to me comes at a little bit of a second time. Yeah, I think to add to Maurizio's point, I think as, as Maurizio said, you know, we, there's a lot of really well-intentioned approaches here. No one's trying to do this, you know, as a competitive advantage necessarily. It's We're all trying to do the right thing for, you know, by our farmers and, and by our consumers. I think there is also a, a, an acceleration of cooperation in this area. Some of that is being forced by regulation as well. We've seen over the last few years, reporting and regulation has actually also had a really beneficial effect um, on this. While the, the requirements are greater now, the establishment of you know, the IFRS, for example, bringing together a whole bunch of different standards, I think is also helping generate some momentum in this area. While I think it's absolutely a challenge that we haven't solved, I also see some positive light in this area. 
Michael Gill, interesting question. He mentions or refers to some uh, Purdue survey looking at the barriers to adoption of precision agriculture. And his question simply is, how do we overcome the barriers that exist to get more farmers to adopt precision agriculture? Maurizio, how do you think we go about helping farmers adopt precision agriculture? First problem, money. We're not talking about something that comes for for free, nothing at all. Or uh, let's say more and more we see something that we are kind of like already used to, um, Netflix, Spotify, so these kind of like yearly paying plans. And basically the same, I'm seeing that. So farmers at a certain point tend to be tied to a certain company or something like that in order to have continuous this service provided. So that's a little bit of a problem. To me, the idea is like us, we are trying to do at McCain, we're trying to provide not only uh, economic incentives to our farmer, those are key, but also we're trying to get back with uh, data. They give us raw data, we get back with dashboards. That's already one step for Precision Act, because as I said, if we already are recognizing for them that there is a problem in that crop or in that field, we are already giving them the basic of Precision Act. Then, of course, Precision Act is way more than that. So that's why we need to come together with credit institution in order to have better loans for farmers or something like that. That's a little bit the approach. First, start giving back to the farmers and then try to help them economically with incentives. Stacey, anything to add there? I mean, I'll just add that it's very much the same approach that we have at Oatly. We have to incentivize producers to be able to adopt this type of a practice. We have to incentivize it for long enough that it can be embedded, right? This isn't just like a one-year payment. This, you know, dependent on what we're talking about, this could be like five years of payments where there's like a sunsetting once they understand like this is the benefit this has to my farm, you know, trying to layer in other financial benefits that the farmer may have as they start to understand like the full view of using precision egg, it starts to make more and more sense financially to them as a, as a farmer and as a business owner. And so it is really definitely the incentive side of it that has been a challenge. Jonathan, anything to add there? Is it just about getting incentives aligned? I think absolutely. Um, it's probably nothing more important than that. But also showing the the outcomes of those practices. I think too often we're asking farmers to, hey, go and do this, but then not linking that to what's the actual outcome from a data-driven perspective. You might not see that that great impact in year one, but in year three or year five, you definitely will. Actually showing the progress in the trends also of, of the different outcomes of those efforts, I think is really important. Just move on a little bit onto a similar a related question, and it's about how these sort of tools can be used to help smallholder farmers. We've been talking primarily about bigger farmers on this webinar, but I'm interested to hear, Jonathan, what's your views on what can be done to help smallholder farmers? I think what Maurizio mentioned earlier today around the model farm approach is one way that is really helpful and beneficial to to smallholder farmers, especially with lots of specialty crops in certain areas of the world. You know, we may be talking about a a farm of less than a hectare or an acre and many farmers in, in that supply chain. For companies that are you know really willing and, and and trying to do something like you know McCain or Oatly in the specialty crops area, they might not be able to go and see the fifty thousand farmers that supply them, and often they don't have the relationship with every individual farmer. So I think the model farm is a really important, but also so is the suppliers in the middle. There are a bunch of companies that aren't the food and beverage brands that that our consumers know, but that are in between in that supply chain. I think they're really crucial partners to bring along. One thing that is helping 
them get to the smallholder farmers is the bigger food and beverage companies being able to do sort of long-term deals in it in a way that they haven't traditionally done. Maybe not a year offtake agreement, but let's put a seven-year offtake agreement in place so that they can then go and incentivize their farmers and the smallholder farmers for the long term ensuring that we are able to sort of have those benefits flow through and then getting to the, to the smallholder farmers through the model farms is, a, I think, a really important technique. Conscious of time, I do want to ask a question that's been put to the panel on human rights issues. Stacey Maruzzo, very quickly, perhaps, how do you incorporate the human rights-related issues into your monitoring as well? Yeah, so it is a huge part of Oatly's regenerative framework is around human rights. It is something that we work really closely with our processors on um, to understand where our supply is coming from, to understand what's happening in those communities, um, specifically around labor. This isn't as big of a thing in Canada, but when we start to move over to our supply in the Baltic states, it starts to become a much larger issue. We, our work is really centered around what the data is that the processor is collecting and working with them to ensure that they're collecting the right kind of data and that we have a really good hold on what's happening in those communities where we're sourcing from. Maritza, anything to add? One thing that I'm really proud actually at McCain, we do really use the concept of thriving communities. So I mentioned before these primary features, they are not only like leading in order to share knowledge and showing the farmers, they also want to contribute to their communities. They are not in the middle of Toronto, we're not farming in the middle of Toronto, but I do work at the farmer future and it is in, now, in New Brunswick, in Florenceville, Bristol. So actually we are looking at that area. The other one in South Africa, again, is in a rural community in order to foster our communities there. Plus, actually what we do, we do also have many other like programs with the farmers in which we are literally creating the panels or the groups in which we do listen to their needs. And needs, they're not only like, okay, for example, I need this seed or I need this. It's really like financial needs. What do you need for you, for your community and for your family to thrive? I'd like to ask one question to all the panel. We've had a really interesting conversation over the last hour or so. What's the one thing that you're taking away from the conversation? Stacey? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I'm taking away from this conversation is how iterative we need to be with our data um, and how we layer it in for farmers. And then just honestly, the true opportunity there is across companies both food companies and the technology companies to get this in a collaborative sense. I feel very renewed in that, which is fantastic. I think that's my, my big takeaway. Thank you. Maurizio? I do agree 100%. It's really like the idea of this panel today, coming all to that together, different backgrounds, different companies, but in the end, they just like work together towards a bigger objective. And that's really what to me is the biggest takeaway from today. Great, thanks. And, and Jonathan? Couldn't agree more. And I think it's uh, an emphasis to us all. That, yeah, how can we share data and frameworks and iterate on this on, on, together? I think that's something we can all hope to do in a better way. Thanks very much. And thank you to you all for your questions. That is it. Thanks very much indeed. I'm going to draw the matters to a close as we run out of time. Many, many thanks indeed to our panel for their time and insight today. It's been a really interesting conversation. What we've talked about today will, of course, be covered in many more detail at Innovation Forum's Future of Food series of conferences in May in Amsterdam and in Minneapolis in June. Full details on the Innovation Forum website. For now, I hope you found the webinar useful. I've been in Welsh and thank you for joining us. <laughs>